Oh, I love cold cuts. It's the Sopranos Podcast, Season 5, Episode 10, Turned Inwards. Depression is rage turned inwards. That's a quote from Dr. Melfi in this Season 5, Episode 10 of The Sopranos, entitled Cold Cuts. This episode is written by Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess, directed by Mike Figgis. I hope I'm saying that right, because he did a nice, interesting job here. Some interesting choices we're going to talk about. Cold Cuts. Coming off the heels of some solid mid-season episodes, things feel like uh, they're gaining momentum toward a certain amount of chaos, particularly in the realm of the New York crime family. And uh, I have to say, while I very much enjoyed this episode, to me, it was a depiction of... Tony Soprano at his ugliest in many yeah, ways. He's really. a real prick in this episode. Big time, big time. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mantini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. What were your thoughts on Cold Cuts? Great episode. Probably one of the clearest examples we've seen of a late season episode having to turn up the heat to set the fire for the remaining episodes of the season. But it does do more than setup, of course. We have good character exploration for many of our series leads. Uh, most especially would like to shout out Tony, Chris, and Janice, who all have great moments this week. Tony B as well, of course. And, uh, yeah, this, this contemplation on this idea that depression is rage turned inwards, that seems like a great key to unlock many of the psychological mysteries of the show. And we get so many direct, uh, really direct examples of that in this episode. So, um, I think it's, it's really nice as a treatise episode on this idea in particular, the relationship between rage and depression and how these people that come from this same family all experience this, perhaps at a genetic level. Yes, I also think it's a really fun, interesting episode. Maybe just the mood that I was in when I watched it, it really felt like a comedy. Though, of course, a dark and bleak one in many respects. And it's, as Jordan said, it's pulling the thread toward the end of the season, and we're moving through a lot of stories that we've been with for a while. But this is also a, self, a self-contained episode with respect to the theme, because we're talking about anger and its pitfalls and the difficulties that come out of it being burying anger or lashing out, that sort of thing, what the problems are that come of it. Uh, I love the whole dynamic of being in what Chris calls the inner city. (laughs) (laughs) Or let's let's put it more broadly, the crunch of North Jersey, the most densely populated part of the United States, driving less than 100 miles away and being in the, uh, what I think of as the checkoff space, where... You should be moving away from your troubles. They all follow you there. And the difficulties that come from that. Also, just a fun little shout-out, a bit meta. David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, has referred to Scorsese's movie Goodfellas as his Koran. And sure enough, the storyline about the bulldozers are coming is obviously a pull from the famous Billy Bats murder, Frank Vincent's character in Goodfellas. After they kill him months later, they're like, we gotta go get this body and get rid of it. Very similar complication brings them up to Uncle Pat's farm in this episode. Mm. Right. And if you remember, it was actually Chris's movie brain citing Goodfellas as the reason he moved the body in the first place. Because his first kill, he dumped them under a bridge and someone will build a fucking condo here. You know, that, that idea that developers are going to unearth the body goes back to Goodfellas. So, very good. Yeah, the, the Chris, Tony B, Tony S stuff is the meat of the episode. I really latched onto the Janice thread this episode as well. Great I, Janice episode. Great Janice episode. Great Bobby episode. Great, great Bobby episode. Yeah, just a great feature on that whole corner of Soprano Land. And yeah, I really 
I really uh, felt for Janice here, which is something I don't say on this podcast all that often. But this felt like one of the more genuine attempts on Janice's part to correct some of her toxic traits. And Tony just harpoons it right in the side at the end. It's really gross. But fun journey. Fun journey along the way. Uh, cold cuts. We start out Port Newark. Carlos guys waiting out for some Vespa scooters that haven't shown up. Hackensack River, immediately following up with Tony and Johnny Sack. Things seem to be getting more tense here with the little comments, as Tony remarks later on, that this there's this unspoken thing happening where Tony B killed Joey Peeps. John kind of knows, but Tony is on full-blown denial. It means all-out war if Johnny decides not to believe Tony's denial, even though I think he doesn't believe it. And he's making it very obvious he doesn't believe that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the quote... So, Tony ends up not, be, not being able to get these Vespas. We find out later they did go to Johnny Sack. Um, you know, Tony says, Carlo was told it was a go. If it didn't happen, how come nobody called? Johnny Sack, right to his face. A lot of things didn't happen that seemed that they happened. Your cousin didn't whack Joey. The Vespas never got into my hands, right? So he is making it very obvious that he doesn't believe Tony's story. And he's kind of waiting for Tony's next move. Yeah, because the 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 threat that was made last time uh, that this came up was you know if I find out yeah. that you're lying that's that's it there's going to be consequences. Yep. He kind of already knows he lied, so he's kind of I don't know. I think it feels like Johnny's almost giving him like a little rope to fix this right. by tightening a noose. Yeah. You know, like oh you you enjoy this relationship we have. What if I start to not keep up my end of these bargains? What if I start not to allow you to enjoy the benefits of our relationship? Oh, now you feel it. Now do you yeah. want to tell me the fucking truth, you prick? Which right? which sucks because I think as viewers we like Tony and Johnny's relationship. We it's do. Productive. And we're certainly on the Soprano family, Johnny Sack side of New York. We don't want an alliance between Tony and Little Carmen. We don't even like any of those characters. Right. Prince House Council is what I call Little Carmine <laughs> and his buddies. <laughs> yes, I agree. And I think also, what jo as Jordan just laid out, underneath what Johnny is saying is more aggression. So even these guys who have much more leeway than everyday people to express anger still feel a need to play a game, mm. still feel a need to, to moderate it because of the business that they're in, because of the dynamic of these relationships. So Tony is left hanging. Mike Figgis does this nice push-in mm. on him, clearly pissed. But is he going to show it? No, he's going to at least try to tamp it down. So immediately we're in this tension between anger, pushing it down, the rage turning inward, um, and these mechanics right away. Uh, the tension is rising. Yeah. yeah. And Tony's in such a dangerous position because that, that war that's going on in New York is so aggressive and he's just too close to it. Mm. Just too close. And Tony B's put him in a terrible position. As a boss, though, purely objectively, it's a pretty badass move John Johnny Sack is doing, where he is allowing Tony to realize that he knows the story's full of shit, but letting him oh, yeah. make the next move. It's like, how are you going to make this right? Sure. Well, Johnny's, you know, surely a, a much better boss than Carmine. I, Johnny, I think we're supposed to believe is on a level with Tony, maybe mm. even more competent than Tony in some ways. Mm. Uh, Johnny also has the Leotardo brothers, yeah. right? Who are just harder hitting than anyone Carmine seems to have at this moment. Cut to our next scene where this, uh, you know, <laughs> this is the uh, age of YouTube and Twitter. And I think uh, at some point you may have come across footage of parents fighting at some kind of uh, 
youth athletic event, but it is something that happens, and far more often than I think it should. But oh, it's, yeah. it's funny to see Janice caught up in it. She's acting as a stepmother to Bobby's kids, and she's very committed to this thing with Bobby. To the point where she gets very territorial over this other yuppie woman who is yelling things that she probably shouldn't be yelling at a game. I'll give I'll give Janice that. That's why it's perfect, I think. Right. Magic Sopranos. Janice steps way out of line, and she knows it. It's a problem both for her family and for the business. Um, but the woman needs to get punched. Yeah. I laughed really hard when Janice Janice yelled, "Hey, no negatives, you." <laughs> Classic. But also, only Janice Soprano could be more overbearing as a caring stepmother than a mean one. Only Janice <laughs> could pull that off. Like, I care very much. It's like, whew, take it the fuck easy. Yeah, care a little less, please, would you? Yeah. <laughs> funny, darkly funny tackles are especially funny on the news replay. We'll get to that scene in a moment. Uh, but <laughs> I just feel so bad for the children. Psychiatrist Bella Kaku. (laughs) We're in the back of the Bing. They're going over this scooter thing. Paulie thinks Johnny's behavior at at that kid's funeral was a disgrace. No Vespas. And Tony sends uh, Detective Benny Fazio (laughs) (laughs) to to Port Newark to find out what the fuck's going on down there. So Tony's investigating. He knows Johnny's fucking with him and. Send in, send, in, send in the troops. But then he gets the call. Janice has been arrested. And this fucking news... They had so much fun putting this together. The, the, the comments from the, from the anchors. Just the, the little mob in you. You can call this a mafia-related hit. <laughs> Think so that other fun. mother better go into the soccer mom protection program? <laughs> Maybe she should, Carl. <laughs> and just that, that, that shot of Tony's eyes over the TV and then... You just see it get narrower and narrower, and then when his name comes up, he's just ready to fucking explode. And then they get this doctor, Doctor. Uh, yeah, Bella, Paul just said it. Bella yeah. Kaku. Yeah, Bella, Doctor Bella Kaku, talking about how people in society, <laughs> certain kinds of people, are prone to rage. Motherfucker! <laughs> Only the Sopranos could really do a joke that's like on the nose like that. I was really gonna funny. say, I, I, Paul, I had that same exact note that's like, in, in anyone else's hands, that would have been a wah-wah, eye-roll thing. But they fucking... This this show is able to pull off things like that. Like a little... Mo, like, wait, wait, and here, well, another one that comes to mind of something that would flop in most people's hands... A little physical gag when Tony is going to talk to Meadow in season four, episode two, no show. And he goes to sit down and he sits on a bowl of ice cream. It's like, that shouldn't have worked. That, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. but, it, but, it all, but it isn't stupid. It's great. And Tony gets up and barrels over to the Bacchieri's because of course he does. And he blasts in there, barrels in. She was picking on Sophia. I'm suing the township. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Wrongful arrest, just you're, great stuff. You're going to call Neil, you're going to plea it down, you're going to pay the fine and not turn this into one of your cause celebres. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Precisely why you need Neil Mink. Yep. Right. And then this interesting exchange, I loved Bobby's reaction, the way all three of these actors played this, when she says, that bitch is lucky I didn't kill her. Which Tony could have just yep. written off and told mm-hmm. well, we know that. 
And I love Bobby's like, what? <laughs> oh, this this takes me back to the roadies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, Dropping ass and blown roadies. The things that Bobby doesn't know. Oh, yeah. Anger again, you and your fucking temper, Janice. And Richie April is the first dead body to get dug up in this mm. episode. Mm. Tony goes outside. Bobby follows him. This is the end of it. Calls Sophia her daughter. I don't give a fuck. And then Bobby's hurt face even moves. <laughs> even the heartless Tony Soprano. All right, I do give a fuck. But how many times do I have to tell you, get control of your wife. This is from a guy who's living in his dead mother's fallen, rotting house. Yeah. Uh, because his wife doesn't want him there. So. <laughs> you know, at first I thought when Tony said that to him, get control of your wife, I was like, how is he supposed to do that? But actually, I think Bobby does a great job in well, this episode. Let's he talk knows about just it. how to talk to her. He hits it so well and I think says the right thing. He does it exactly the way Tony would in his his situation. Bobby handles this perfectly. For a minute, this almost doesn't feel like a mob show. This is a husband who is relatively maybe a little more docile on the home front than than Janice, but has decided, no, you know what, I've had enough of this. This is such a healthy expression of Bobby's Bobby's point of view. Yeah. Like, get yourself to, you know, this is completely reasonable. I think you need professional help, which said the Janice is hilarious, by the right. way. Uh, I love that he shits on her therapist. That she, you know, I'm going to have an extra and session. He, he, <laughs> and he doesn't rise to the bait because she initially hits him with, well, I think you should go see a weight loss specialist, right? Uh, yep. And he actually doesn't even take goes that. Right past he goes it. right past right. it. Yep. And I was like, good for you because Tony would have sat on that. And it wouldn't have been productive. You're right. right. Yeah. Yep. yep. Good point. The, the fucking whatever happened at that corner store they won't even let you shop at the corner anymore <laughs> and you know, but like she those what? coffee beans were burnt Bobby <laughs> and, and she like blew a gasket at somebody oh my god <laughs> that scene is also I agree with you guys of course I think Bobby handles it very well and it's perfectly blocked Janice like I guess end of the day she's like taking off earrings and stuff and so she's in that mirror and Bobby's, Bobby's mostly in the mirror right yeah yeah and he's trying to get her to engage and that fragmented reflection of her mm. it's very well done the two Janices mm-hmm. very good yeah and I, I love uh, the way Bobby just lays it out at the end we'll be that as it may the past and all if you don't go to these meetings you know this with us ain't gonna work out it seems as though he spied at least part of that scene with Sophia Yes. Um, which is a devastating scene for a couple of reasons. One, I think, as you said, Chris, I think Janice is trying in her way, but this is not a good scene. Sophia's a kid. She's a kid who lost her mother. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not nice to say to a step-parent, you're not my parent, but again, she's speaking from deep frustration and humiliation as a little kid. And Janice's response is stunning to Mm. me. She says two things. She says, I'm here, and I try to care very much. So, A, your mother's fucking dead, and I'm here. Good luck, kid. B, I try to care very much, i.e., you are kind of a chore to Mm. love. Mm. Um, Mm. Which which really, of course, what that belies is that it's a chore for me to really love anything. Mm. I wish that there was a hell for people like this to go to. (laughs) So... Very little quarter from me for Janice. Even I know she's given it her best whirl, but that scene is really rough, um, yeah. and I really do feel for Sophia in that moment. And then yeah, so I'm glad that Bobby lays it down. If this, if you don't make these changes, this with us ain't gonna work out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a great scene. I have some sympathy for Janice. Not that I think she's a great mom or, or that how she handles <coughs> the situation is at all appropriate. But when she does say, you know, how could you understand your dad was a sweetheart even when he had emphysema? In my house, it was dog eat dog. We know how true that is. Mm. And, and we know no one seems to come out of that unscathed. So uh, this is just someone who, I don't mean to be uncharitable. It's just she's someone who never should have been a mom. Yeah. You know, she could have just found happiness another way. She should not be in a family situation. I know why she latched on to Bobby. It really should have been on Bobby to not take her in in this way. But everyone was vulnerable at the wrong time. Mm. You know. And sadly, I don't want to get ahead of our skis here, but what Jordan was just mentioning about the family that this comes from, we'll get into that in Tony's the therapy scene we have later, and in the last dinner scene when Tony embodies one of his two parents. I guess <laughs> yeah. which one? Mm. Yeah. We're at the casino next. Chris, what yeah. a place! I want to be there. I, you know what? I would play blackjack in this. Fuck yeah. yeah! Yeah, so fun. I gotta find it. Bloomfield Ave is not far from here. I. Maybe I'll just knock on doors. So it's find actually it, find it it walking distance yeah. from here. <laughs> this is a fun little scene. I like uh, the way Paulie deals with Chris. Uh, you know, it used to be you, didn't it? <laughs> Teacher's pet. Now you know what I went through. It's kind of a fun moment of quote-unquote bonding here. Clearly not, not satiating Chris's resentment toward Tony B, but... How much you think he clears here? They're talking money. That's going to come back in another scene or two. Huge money. Yep. And then Chris and Adriana are picking out wedding cakes. By the way, they Tony never answers the question, how did you find me? <laughs> but this, it was very funny that him and Tony B just pull up outside, beep the horn. He comes out. Uh, careful what you say. I just had the car service. Tony's generally pretty good about this kind of stuff. I think in industrious and intelligent FBI agent might be able to figure it out based on this, but A, it's not explicit enough for court, and B, we don't have industrious and intelligent FBI agents on this show, so <laughs> right. that's fine. <laughs> Our friend with the orchard, you got your canned peaches up there. Great, great uh, euphemism for Chris's first kill. You got your canned peaches, made me think of Al Swearingen. Ah, uh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Very good. And uh, there's uh, two other, there's a couple, there's some other peaches up there. Could cause problems for my uncle. Gotta be out of there in two weeks. Uncle Pat's farm. We're gonna meet Uncle Pat very soon. The blocking in this scene is also great. Um, Chris, when he's alone with one of these guys, might feel alright. When it's the two of them, they talk down to him and fantasize him. Uh, they're mean to him. They treat him like he's a little kid. Sure enough, they're in the front, he's in the back. Mm -hmm. Right. And he, again, maybe anger and Chris, the complication of anger and showing it, this is an unforced error on Chris's part when he says to Tony B, oh yeah, you didn't like your cake? Listen, I think your luck's been fucking great. Listen, you cursing it out. Tony B, so smart. Little smile, just looks to Tony. And Tony says, you got something you want to say? Yeah. And then Chris knows it's time to shut the hell up. Right. Great scene. Followed up by another great scene. I always love Chris and Aid alone together. They they have an, such a great chemistry. These two actors and they're when they're not when Chris is not violently beating her, they usually have fun scenes. Uh, <laughs> talks about Uncle Pat, knock around guy, tells a story of hiccups for a year. He's looking for his Tenactin. He was sent up there summertime, and we this is the first dose of uh, the way he describes this. 
and the way they talk about it throughout the rest of the episode, it really makes you feel like, oh, uh, you, you feel these summers on Uncle Pat's farm, how fun it must have been as a kid. And Tony B talks about it in the car right up there. And uh, she laughs, Adriana laughs about the hiccup thing. You think it's funny? He almost committed suicide over it. <laughs> Barney's underwear with the ventilated cotton. <laughs> and I need Tony B up there like I need a third nut. Great, <laughs> great line. And you know what? I got to say, I'm going to dip a little personal on this. This dynamic Chris is describing is very real. I had an older cousin and an older brother. Separately, when I was hanging with just my cousin or just my brother, it was great. It was exactly what Chris is describing. It's like, yeah, I'm going to teach you the stuff older kids know, and, and you're my buddy, and we're, in, we're hanging out. But when the two of them hung out together with me, I was always... Little shit. No, I, I was never tied to a tree in an orchard, but like we'd play cops and they would go out with their toy guns in the woods and shoot the bad guys and they'd make me stay at home. I was the dispatcher. Mm. Oh, yeah, like that kind of shit. Desk duty? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, man. Like kids. <laughs> no, that's not. It's, I'm not traumatized by it. I get along very well with both of them now. But that dynamic is real, and went like uh, to you know having an older brother, older cousin kind of situation, and then it changes when everybody's together. That that's a real. So I really connected with Chris on this one, and uh, yeah, just describes it. But Tony B fucks up, and Tony lays a two hundred k a year cash cow on him. Oh, and then fucking oh, by the way. <laughs> Both Adriana and Chris Moltisanti believe in their hearts of hearts that if he quits the mob, <laughs> oh, that if he quits no. the mob, he has a career as a male model. They really believe that. If we if we thought that he'd probably be a success, I'd, but I don't want to be around those fucking people. <laughs> <laughs> a Jesus lot of Christ. anger is uh, self importance, <laughs> and uh, part of the difficulty here is these characters only slenderly knowing themselves. <laughs> and only slenderly having a sense of, I think, their own real vulnerability. And um, there's, I think there's a nagging inadequacy. That's yes. why Chris still takes it so personally. Yeah. When the reality is, is that even though, yeah, there's some stuff that they were mean back to him and boys will be boys. But a lot of it is just, I think, guys being guys. Yeah. Like, if you guys said to me later on tonight, like, oh, Paul, you take that shit, I thought we already dropped the biological weapon, I'm not going to go home crying. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, un unless there was something so broken in me that was reflected in you guys that I just couldn't get over it. And I, so there's something going on with Chris here. Um, and Imperioli is terrific. Yeah. In that respect, in this episode. Yeah, on the subject of rage, and obviously Janice is a big one in this episode, I don't know if there's a character that has as much occasionally unfettered rage as Chris has. Like, he's the only one that compares to Tony, mm. in my mind, in terms of, like, guys that can just fly off the handle at the drop of a hat. Mm. And it's because, like Tony, Chris is a character who struggles with depression, and, as Paul said, feelings of inadequacy. And then also we should bring up this, what Paul just mentioned, the whole boys will be boys thing. I've talked about this on the show before. Groups of men, when they get together, have political dynamics that strongly resemble animal pack dynamics, right? It's usually not with just three men, I'll say. But, you know, as soon as you get a couple of guys together, there's one guy who's the clearly defined alpha. And everyone seeks his approval, and he makes the decisions generally for the group. And that alpha has a beta. He has a number two who's like, 
the guy that like yeah he might take a little shit but like he's he's about even he's the number two people respect him the other guys are all kind of jockeying position for position and there's one guy who's always the asshole there's one guy who's always he's the butt of every joke he's always getting called a pussy all the jokes are at his expense and i think in the very masculine world of the sopranos there's a huge fight all the time to not be that guy and you see it in all the male group scenes and chris is just we see this you know even from his goodfellas days right that's part of the reasons why he got this role Chris doesn't want to be that fucking guy anymore, right? He wants to be respected. He's fucking made. He wants to be, yeah. you know, he wants to walk with them. He, he doesn't, doesn't want, want to be keep spider. being shit on. He doesn't want to be spider anymore. Yeah. You know, and I, I sympathize with men who are in that position or find themselves consistently in that position. And I sympathize with Chris in this episode. Though, Paul's 100% right. These guys should be able to break balls all day and it should just roll off his back. But it, it can't. There's something in them. There's, the chip is too big. Mm. That's a really good point. Uh, that, Chris, as you said, the alpha, the beta, and... Who's the the asshole, the 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 schlemiel who's right. always get and Chris doesn't want to be that guy. And even though Tony B is from the old days, from Chris's perspective, he's just come back. Right. He's just come in and all of a sudden he's he's rocketed to the top. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well said, guys. Great chat. Great chat. See you later. <laughs> Good night. But uh, interesting note to end the scene on. Adriana poses a genuine attempt to, hey, what if we got out of here? Let's not forget what's going on with her just because we haven't explicitly touched down on it in a little bit. Uh, the only little nugget we got, I think it was last week or the week before, was Adriana just making a quick call to Agent Sanseferino. We don't, we're not even privy to the conversation, but we know that she's actively still giving information. She's testing the waters here. Will Chris go with me? Will Will he... Will he leave all this with me? And uh, Chris's answer to her yeah, from probably a, provides very little comfort. Well, yeah, only from a place of great wealth, right? Will he return to writing, right? He's not gonna, <laughs> he's not gonna go back otherwise. Yeah, I'm a soldier, Adriana. When are you gonna understand that? Uh, I think she's starting to understand. Very funny delivery of what the fuck? How many times has Tony said what the fuck in this series, and he still finds <laughs> new ways to say it? Great, great stuff here. He comes. The pool's been drained. They do a nice job shooting this. That uh, that shot inside the pool, that low shot, was really special. <laughs> really gives that imposing... Really threatening. Yeah. It's a very Orson Welles shot, by the way. That shot mm. from underneath up. Mm. Uh, it's like, well, whose perspective is this? Is the first question. Yeah. And then also it's like, sort of ominous. He could push you in, you know. Yeah. And Carmela's look is like, are you fucking serious right now? Yeah. Um, yeah, the two of them together, it's so great, so rich, that the, and it's draining the pool, this image of the family, where the sexual connection happened. And this is why, let me tell the audience this, if they ever wonder why we never tire of talking about The Sopranos, I've watched this show plenty of times, I've seen this episode plenty of times before. Watching it this time, The Pool Drained, this was the first time that I ever thought to myself, if the ducks come back... They're going to take a look at the pool and be like, fuck this joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how great is this? It's great. Yeah. It's He's really also, <laughs> his afternoon's been ruined. He was dressed to go in that pool. He had his little sandals on, his little yeah. swimsuit. Cigar in the beer, right? Yeah. 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 He was ready to rock. He was ready to have a good, like, two hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, the muttering to himself was getting dressed. <laughs> and not, like, not even the sort Almost of, ripping his pants. Fuck. Getting, struggling to get it on. This is great. Great muttering. And then a moment, I think, where, again, we're dealing with anger and its possible pitfalls, where he maybe leans on the back of the couch for a second and takes a breath, and he's like, okay, 
I'm going to even out here and we'll talk about something more pleasant. The kid Finney's all right, you know. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Carmela calls Tony out for not playing fair. I'm not the one that wanted it. All right, well, let's pretend you weren't asking for it a million different ways because I'm worn out here. She's just had it. She has no, she doesn't see what the next path is. And Tony does soften a little bit. Are we going to throw them in a engagement party if we can be civil? They're just so young. Same age we were. Tony stops her. It wasn't all bad. And she moves off. I wonder if she laments Meadows' age because that's just what all moms think when their young daughter gets engaged. Is she having regrets that she and Tony got together so early? Because we, we now have found out Tony was her first anything, first and only, up until Wegler. I don't know. That, that, that could be a complicated mm. moment, too. Mm. That was interesting. I like it. We get our anger management scene. This is a fucking great scene. <laughs> this is a comedy episode yeah, in a lot of this ways. This, this scene is fantastic. She cuts off this, this poor gay man talking about the fight he had with his partner and uh, the guy screaming the Bufferin commercial. Fucking kid gets me every time. <laughs> everybody in the room is like, uh. <laughs> it was Horse. a famous commercial from the 60s. <laughs> Did you keep Billy's bike out of the driveway? <laughs> Are some people here voluntarily and other people sort of kind of that's the vibe at these things is that you got the people who are hey my husband says I have an anger problem and so I came here to whatever and there's the people who you you have to show up to 10 of these or you're going to the the pokey (laughs) (laughs) yeah because you fucking like took a crowbar to somebody's car in traffic or something, right? right? The African American woman that Janice starts fighting with, maybe told off her boss, right, or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, why aren't they in here for selfishness issues? I really like that. Uh, the therapist is provoking her slightly. You can control your response to these triggers. Uh, this turn in this scene where Janice paints herself as a civil rights supporter because you're a minority, and they kind of bond there. And then uh, she turns it one second later with the racist comment about the SUVs and that, quote, rap shit. And you can't say anything because they might have guns. Wait a minute, who the fuck is they? And she fires right back if the shoe fit. The UPS guy, I think. My favorite character in this episode. (laughs) By the way. With one line. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is fucking priceless. Great delivery. Great line. That's a fun day at work for that actor. Uh, By the way, just the idea of a UPS driver with a temper problem just... (laughs) Gets me for some reason. I don't know why that's funny to me. Uh, but, man, just really fucking great. <laughs> and then her hands are clipped. The, 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 the therapist really, and this uh, woman she was just fighting with, do seem to get to her on some in some level of just explaining the concept that there's external stimulus, and then there's what's going on inside and your own response to it. And... The goal of this therapy is to separate the two and, and remove your response, your your trigger from the equation. Hmm. Interesting idea. Uh, that works for some people. Let's see. To give Janice some credit, that's not easy for anybody to do. Right. To really dig in. Maybe it's just that later on when she's talking in this those platitudes or that language, it's about as substantive as, I guess, Chris's AA speak Mm. when push comes to shove. Right. Chris and Tony B are driving through Hudson Valley. They're talking about Uncle Pat's farm, how great it was to go there as kids. Uh, Tony B mentions that he was scared of the Sleepy Hollow cartoon. 
<laughs> I used to scare the shit out of him. That, in fairness, that is a very scary cartoon. Yes. That is the Bing Crosby narrated... Uh, I think they actually the official title of that is called Ichabod and Mr. Toad, because it was a double feature. One half Wind in the Willows, one half Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, wow, yeah. And, and I think the pull from Chase here is that because of Steve Buscemi's unusual physical appearance, right, that perhaps he resembles Ichabod Crane a little bit. And then, sure enough, you find out a little bit later that that's what they used to call him. Mm. Who, who would call you that? Some very sorry people. That's who. I like that answer. There is such darkness under that, though. Yeah. What happened to them? <laughs> Did they go the way of the Johnson brothers? That's Jeez, what I'm, that's what I'm probably thinking. Mikey Palmisi's dad's farm next to Ralph Zuffaretto's head and hands. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, very conscious, it seems, of his status. This is a $50,000 vehicle that I own. I don't want to see it scuffed up. Mm. Got to drop a number, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, peacocking, showing that. Very, very nice. Another uh, great Melfi scene here. We're, we're, uh, Melfi had, in my opinion, a bit of a dip this season as far as she just wasn't in several episodes. But uh, she's has a strong comeback here. The great therapy scene, of course, last week. And then... This one, this week, this is good stuff. If you don't mind if we get to stop off here for a moment, I think yeah. part of that is that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you two are much more, uh, much better read about the show than I am, it seems just from even a, a more casual observer that uh, season one, the show feels, Melfi is a vital part of the show who must be in every episode for the episode to be complete. And then some arcs are finished with her. Tony makes some revelations, he has some moments, therapy does go away for a while, and when it comes back, it seems like that's no longer the case. It's not that it's not a vital part of the show. It just seems like it's not part of the show's given default formula. Right. Right. And I think probably for the benefit of it, because you don't want empty therapy scenes, right? It has yeah. to grow. It has Good to point. change. Yeah. yeah. And also maybe they're, I think that's a great point. And maybe they're realizing there's great economy in the storytelling of The Sopranos, realizing that you can do a lot with a little. This is a very memorable scene. This is the only therapy scene in this episode. Right. Right. Melfi, they're talking about Tony's. Carmel sleeping together. It's a one-time deal. They bring up Janice's temper. Good, let's talk about it. Melfi's encouraging it. And then she drops the pull quote, depression is rage turned inward, which is very profound. I know that had a profound effect on me the first time I heard it. It's like, it that's a... really sounds true. Yeah. It really does. Uh, uh, I don't know if you guys, um, we don't often share this detail with the audience, but typically we get, we watch the episode and Jordan will send out our title and then I'll send out a couple of quotes. And typically my response to Jordan sending out our title, which is turned inwards, would be, I'd like to find a different quote to pull from. I just didn't think there was an option. This yeah, episode. No, that is the title and that's the thematic thought yeah, that's that the line to dig into. That's right? the line. Yeah. Yep. And it's kind of a, uh, we, we talked about this a little bit in the, uh, the pre-show as well. It's kind of the key to understanding the series and understanding these characters, right? Yeah. Why are they so angry? Because they are depressed. Yeah. Why are they so depressed? That's a great question. We mm. should talk about that. And that's kind yeah. of the series. Mm. Yeah. There is that rage. And, and the rage is a big part of it. There's a lot of theme at, themes they touch on. Rage is one. And it's nice that rage got its spotlight. We've had episodes about boredom. We've had episodes about uh, exhilaration. And uh, rage. Great topic. Let's, let's dive in. And I love Melfi's attitude here. She's still game. There's just... It's, you know... There's some places Tony isn't willing to go still. Bad for business. He talks about the old guys. They used to 
just kind of quietly nod and then make sure you got it later. Tony romanticizing the past. Yeah, it reminded me of Tony B a little bit too, right? A lot of Tony B's reactions to things are just kind of like, oh, little little smile. He'll make sure you get it later. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh something, yeah, something very uh, clear about that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Tony Miss <laughs> says revenge is like serving cold cuts, <laughs> which is great. Which although, is the, the actual title of this episode. Although yes. there's a darkness to that because of what Melfi brings up, the chopping off of the pinky in the deli where Tony got his cold cuts. Yeah. There's definitely a lot there. Well, there's also an adjacency, right? They're going to go dig up the bodies of men that were slaughtered and dismembered by this family, right? Mm-hmm. So there is this butchery uh, reference here. Yeah. yeah. This anger you and your sister share mentions the mother, but then Melfi once again tries directing it on the Johnny, who Tony seems to conveniently let off the hook again and again. Cutting off the finger. Yeah, see, I wish I hadn't told you that. So you fixate on with him. I, you know, I dress up. Uh, what does he say? I dress up nice when I come here. I love that line. I dress up nice. He is. Yeah, he, yeah. Looks, he looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great suit. Great blue suit jacket, blue shirt. Beautiful. Yep. Yeah. This is what I want to present. Right. right. Exactly. I want to be the good patient. That's what they say in psychology. The good patient. I'm showing up. I've done the work on myself. I don't have any problems. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about me. Yep. And then he goes into many of the things about society, just the general bullshit writ large in American and, and modern life. Uh, you know, the whole example he gives, uh, your call's important to us. Please, <laughs> if it's so important, you answer the fucking phone, which, yes, I, I'm with him. And <laughs> and Melfi is encouraging. Yes, I agree. The, we live in a time of technological and spiritual crisis. She briefly quotes Yeats, uh, the center cannot hold, the falcon cannot hear it, the falconer, which is all from the poem The Second Coming, Yeah, I think. Yep. yep. Uh, well, fuck? I'm not sure how helpful that is to Tony, the right? The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> right? That's such a great line. <laughs> Yeats is one of my favorite poets. It reminded this whole idea of what he and Janice are searching for, reminded me of another quote from Yeats, which is that it... It takes more courage to face the dark corners of your own soul than it takes for a soldier to fight on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. So in spite of all their faults, which we'll, we have gotten into and will continue to get into, I will cite a certain courage in at least trying to face these things. Yeah. You think you're above it all. So she's calling him out on this, and he tells her that his sister's in anger management. She says, is that something you would consider? No. <laughs> but uh, he's exhausted all the time um, I think there's a reason why he will not consider that and I don't think it has to do with him thinking like therapy is bullshit or something like that because clearly he doesn't think therapy is totally bullshit here he is every week I think for a person who is depressed um, like Tony but it could be just like anyone we know in our lives anger, even though it isn't anger feels more productive than depression mm. um, so I think Tony needs that. That's why we saw him in, uh, was it season three? Sort of unable to retire, right? Right. When he briefly left the running of the family for exactly one episode to <laughs> Silvio and Chris, right? Uh, he was constantly micromanaging because he needs to be in it. It's not just the thrill and the excitement. He needs things to be frustrated by because being frustrated gives him feelings of power. Being able to blow his stack makes him feel powerful. Having to be depressed and to confront himself and to, as Paul said, uh, you know, confront those dark corners, that frightens him and it makes him sad. And we can't have that. Or he can't have that. Is it, I know how he feels. Wow. 
That's rough. Yeah. yeah, good point. Season two, he rips a phone out of the wall, throws it in the dishwasher in another episode where they're dealing with anger and temper and violence. And Tony, uh, Melfi asks Tony, what is it you want to achieve here? And he says, I want to direct my power and my anger against the people in my life that deserve it. Mm. And that's why he doesn't want to go to anger management. That's a part, at least in part. Right. There's a lot of reasons. It's a weapon. He doesn't want to stop getting angry. He wants to control it and wield it as power. Good point. He wants to manage the anger as a tool. Right. Yes, right. exactly. Hmm. Which is, unfortunately, uh, something he very often does with Melfi's therapy, which is he takes the insight he gains, and rather than using it to improve his life, he uses it to inflict misery on others. <laughs> right. So. Well, but look who he admires, right? Right. I mean, he uh, Tony ultimately admires, maybe not gangsters directly, but men of power who can be strong and silent and can have grudges, but... Do not show them at the surface. Rather, they will deal with them in time and have their justice in time as such, right? He admires men like JFK. He admires men like Gary Cooper in, you know, High Noon or whatever it's going to be, right? Uh, or whoever. Uh, like, he, that, those are the kinds of guys... He wants to be Vito Corleone, yeah. right? Vito Corleone who, just a little smile, a little nod, in a month your whole family's dead, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he wants. He can't right. get there yet. Instead, he's more like... In the one scene at the end, he's like Howard Hughes. They're like taking the back, like nobody sees the boss like this. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cut to the country. They're having a lovely dinner out here. This does look like a place I'd love to hang out. Maybe for spend a long weekend up there, have dinner. Uh, I like Uncle Pat. I do too. <laughs> Uncle Pat's, guy. yeah, he is. A, Who is this actor? He's perfect. So he's sweet. really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. They, they got him. I mean, it's almost like they took the guy who owned the farm and put him in the show. It's great. Louise is selling the place and putting him in a home. <laughs> in Florida, yeah. Parallels yeah. to the story that started the show. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Gentler, kinder, more playful, but still. We're digging up the past here. Mm-hmm. So. He sends her in. Do me a favor. Be as polite as you are when there's no one else around. Another example of people coming into the dynamic and changing it. They try to think back. Where were the Johnson brothers buried? Uh, we'll see. Well, we're going to do Chris's tonight. <laughs> So they start digging up Chris's body, uh, and they're. This is not the first time they have moved this body. They joke about Tony doing this, and uh, he's a heart attack waiting to happen, which prompts down a bunch of prompts a bunch of fat jokes from Tony B. At, and, and Chris and Tony kind of bond over that. <laughs> his blast blood test came back. His blood content was sixty five percent Zapola. <laughs> When he heard the term pie in the sky, he joined the 82nd Airborne. <laughs> Chris comes back with the stuff he's learning from AA, which is that he's stamping down his feelings, tea, by eating. Gives this line, when you're at the, t- he's at the top, he's isolated himself. He used to be the funnest guy around, Tony B says. Emil Kolar, second time. This guy was in a, <laughs> another callback to the start of the show, this... There, there he is, email Kolar with bullet hole and all. But not before we get the scene with port security. These guys breaking bones while there's still a person wearing them. <laughs> this poor, poor fella chasing him down. Benny and this fucking ripped guy we haven't seen before. Just beating his ass with a pipe. And they get the name out of him. It was Phil Leotard. They, the long story short of the scene, it's rough to watch, but they, they get the name out of him. It's Phil Leotardo. They, they took the scooters. And then uh, we're back to breaking bones in the country. Thanks for doing this. You're my little fuck that. You're my cousin. The New York thing, he dispels the rumors, the New York rumors. 
And then he also dis- tries to dispel Chris's resentment that he's very astutely detected. But I went away for a long time. I stood up for this family. I wrote down Frank talk as Frank as it can get anyway. Yeah, I love his whole his delivery here. He's like, listen, I did my time. I think I have a little something coming to me. And just dropping it on him. Hey, absolutely. I told Benny the other day. He yeah. was complaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Benny was complaining. Maybe that was a cut scene. <laughs> <laughs> but no even when the I, I think there is I think these characters do have a connection and they do find a bond here mm-hmm. there's just always layers and BS it's yeah. the Sopranos you know and then he makes sure to clarify all that stuff we were saying about Tony I love him like a brother of course right yeah back of the Bing it's been brought to Tony's attention that Johnny did in fact take the Vespas and because of Joey Peeps. Sill says Johnny should be out looking for the real killers. I gotta think he's helping Tony posture here. He's smart enough to know. Yeah, come on. Sill is smart enough. Sure. But he's also smart enough to know that Tony needs to maintain that that posturing. Well, it's like, this is another one of those just like, the lie agreed upon. Yeah, exactly. You know, we all know what happened. But I guess he can maintain that better than Tony can maintain composure. <laughs> right. he tries it looks like he tries for a second well, it, he realizes it's cool because then it's not just the Vespas this is going to be an ongoing thing and the imported provolone and he marinates I'm a cheesemonger folks I took that very personal yeah come on <laughs> come on we gotta Breaking fucking Paul's heart. we gotta move product over here yeah. <laughs> ports Al-Qaeda uh, <laughs> Al-Qaeda stealing the provolone <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's fucking Bin Laden and his uh, dialysis riding a Vespa. <laughs> yeah, um, Tony loses it here when he really thinks about it. Tony can't, Tony hates the fact that there's nothing he can do about this. It's just there's just the well he can, but the alternative is lie, give up the fact that he lied and so, you know basically turn over Tony B because that that I have to imagine that's forfeit of Tony B's life if it comes yeah. out that he killed Joey Peeps. So Tony's not going to do that. So he feels in a corner it, here. It may be worse than that. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know where this goes, but yeah. Yeah. I also find it interesting. Tony did point out in the scene with Melfi, the anger, the famous soprano temper, it's bad for business, which it can be, it threatens to be. But in a couple of instances, Tony's anger takes place, not in interactions with New York or other people, but with other North Jersey gangsters, i.e. underlings, who have to either set his anger aside, like later with Georgie, or, in, like in this scene, just wait for it to pass. Which means that Tony's whole process with the anger is an interior thing, fundamentally. It's him thinking about it, dealing with it, trying to control it in some way, and it's just his unhappiness. It's him though he has the world by the balls, feeling like everything's in position. Mm. And again, so then it, of course it turns inward. Of course it becomes in, in a struggle of pretty severe anxiety, mm. it seems like. It's fascinating to behold. Speaking of fascinating to behold, this next scene is interesting for two reasons. Ugh. One, Melfi's response to Wegler. And two... Oh, Carmela's, yeah. Yeah, Carmela's response to Wegler. And two, the strangest transition out uh, of the scene in the history uh, of the show, it might be. 
Not your favorite either? No. Yeah, the freeze yeah. into the wipe. This is not something... This, this feels very out of place. Uh, I... Well... We'll I can it, we I we can yeah, speculate. So. Well, it, let, let's start with what the scene what we see, which is Wegler and Carmela bumping into each other. Carmela was at AJ's school, and Wegler is saying hello, hi to be polite, and then expresses perhaps some re- legitimate regret over the way things ended with. He them. says the word "rue." Rue, because, yes, you know, which I had to look up, <laughs> which makes me pissed. <laughs> Carmela shuts it right down with a very good go-to. Uh, you know, look, there, there's a there's a fun parallel here with Carmilla, in a way, using t- the power of her relationship with Tony to repel Wegler in an episode where the powerful people are waxing nostalgic about the innocent days on the farm. It's a fun, interesting little dynamic there. But at the same time, um, she kind of catches herself as she walks away, like, did I just say that? And it's an interesting look. And then the freeze and the wipe, which I... Uh, that would be the idea or the rationalization for the freeze frame. I can't believe I even just said that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, So many not... other ways to do that. Agreed. Mike Figgis is a pretty... For The Sopranos, I'd say he's a pretty stylistic choice for a director. I don't think he did a bad job. Big time. With the episode at all, but I do... He, he, just, that... he made some bold choices. Yeah. Well, let's say that. Some of the... the, the so, I mean, that uh, shot in the pool we were talking about. Yep. That one works better. That yeah. I liked. Yeah. Um, a couple in a couple minutes. There's going to be a scene with Tony and Janice where, again, not super characteristic for The Sopranos. They do a little push in on Tony as he recognizes something. I think that's a figus thing. Again, I think that works terrific. My, my, I think my, also we get him walking away into the the distance of the neighborhood as the credits roll. We usually mm. just go to black. Yep. Is it possible, I feel stupid even suggesting this, uh, because you think of the show, especially in season five, as such a heightened example of filmmaking professionalism, but as a filmmaker, is it possible that maybe they were in a time crunch and they didn't get enough good coverage of that scene at the end, that they just had a shot that would have felt Uh, weird to just cut out of it? I don't think... Like they didn't have a close-up on Carmela's face, so they felt Mm -hmm. like they had to make a statement by... I don't think so. I, I think it's intentional, and I think it's just a, a decision we have to either live with and appreciate for what it is, or, or don't. It was just a miss. Um, look, look, uh, season two, uh, Tony has a panic attack that puts him on the floor in his kitchen, and then they actually rewind to show you what happened before all that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's a, that's an even more stylistic choice in my mind, right? Um I tend to not like these choices. Yeah, I remember you were not fond of the, I, you know, the rewind. That, but that's me. Right, yeah. You yeah. know, I think there are some folks out there who are like, oh, I love when they break the mold of how this thing is shot. So maybe some people really like this. I didn't care for it because for me there wasn't a lot that matched it in this episode, and I didn't think the moment justified that. Mm. I would have much more appreciated a close-up on Carmella. But, uh, you know, I they wanted to do this, and you know what? If it was to let us all linger on that moment and how strange it was, maybe to feel what Carmella was feeling... That's okay for me. Not just a freeze frame, but a freeze frame followed by a wipe. Yeah. To the, I was yeah. like, what is this, a new hope? <laughs> <laughs> but I think a key to this scene, again, as Carmela will talk about later in a great, very brief scene with Rosalie, is that she even surprised herself, saying, I'm going back with my husband. What's so great about that, as you mentioned, Chris, maybe the, the suffusing of anger into this move, a play, and as you said, the power, not many women could put the kibosh on a possibly renewed affair by saying I'm going back to my husband the way that Carmela can. Even a guy like Wegler might say, well, maybe you'll reconsider or maybe we'll carry on in some way. Not with that husband. <laughs> I'm going back with my husband means we're not even fucking talking anymore. 
Yeah. yeah. Over. Done. Out. Yeah. Very well said. It was the Uncle Ben's rice moment. That's what that was. That's yeah, what yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are a handful of these in the show. Chris has been sober for 14 months. Uncle Pat, uh, by the way, that's bullshit, but Uncle Pat, uh, it hasn't been <laughs> yeah. 14 months since Irregular Around the Margins. It's, uh, but chilling by the water, nice time. He congratulates him and tells him, you know, his mother struggled with it, so this is the alcoholism. And maybe talking about booze and alcohol prompted the memory. The bottle of booze flipped upside down on the fence post. He was mad that his workers were drinking on the job, and that's how he remembered it. That's where the Johnson brothers are buried. The anger also played a role. Mm. Memory. Um, the anger was palpable. Yeah. And it reminded me, for these characters, I think, anger is important. Um, Jordan Ooh. will remember a quote from the end of Chernobyl. Jared Harris's character is speaking on the importance of the truth. And he says, it will lie in wait for all time. Yeah. And so will anger for these characters. What is the cost of lies? There it is. Back. By the way, for listeners, that's a fucking monumental miniseries, by the way. If anyone can stomach it, because it's pretty harrowing, that Chernobyl miniseries that was, I think, at least co-produced by HBO. It's wonderful. Starring Jared Howard it's, is, it's, is wonderful. It's dynamite. Rough watch, but very good. Rough watch. Hard to watch, but it was very good. Tony and Janice in the house. Tony's complaining about the mail, getting angry. Don't let me stop you, Tony says. Don't let me stop you from leaving. Janice uh, apologizes to Tony for blowing up. I'm working on it. Seems genuine to me. At least as much as she's capable. He's taken aback by how genuine it seems, right? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Best to just let it go. These anger, these feelings, they're just feelings. And Tony gives her the old line, it's just people say so they can walk all over you. She says a lot of anger is self-importance, a line that is, in my opinion, true, and also clearly strikes a nerve within Tony. Yeah. Problems with authority, which definitely Tony definitely has. That's that's a not even a question. And uh, she not only expresses that she's feeling better, but that it's it's gone deeper than just, I don't have these explosive outbursts that make my life difficult and make it so I have to drive an extra couple blocks to go to the corner store. It's uh, that a great sadness is lifting. Yeah. Now, why this feels different, we've seen Janice very quickly adapt, adopt new identities very quickly. Oh, she's a Buddhist. Now she's a born-again Christian. Now she's a Jersey yuppie housewife. But this one, you can tell, feels real more real to Tony. Because Tony knows her, and he's like, this is freaking me out. What the hell is this about? And he's also... Something about this pisses him off. Seeing her in this state, you can see it on him. This and the everything with Johnny seems to inform the decision. Let me get away from it all. Yep. Yeah. And they do a nice job here with getting that across, by the way. When Janice steps out... As they slowly push in on Tony's face, another push in. Those push in shots are great for expressing anger. You got the dog barking in the background. There's a siren, and the siren was so was so deliberate and loud. I actually thought for half a second that it was in my neighborhood, but yeah. it was in the mix. It's yeah. it's right there. So it's not only some way to it's not only the kind of noise that would prompt one to go for a visit to the country, but it's also a great way to suggest inner turmoil building. Tony shows up, Uncle Pat. 
Just go get him a plate. <laughs> that's such that's Italian service for you. Fuck, yeah. are you hungry? Get him a plate. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who cares if he's hungry? They're Uncle playing Pat was like Johnny Mnemonic, right, Uncle Pat? <laughs> <laughs> huh? We're playing yeah. Pinochle. <laughs> Does that know what Johnny Mnemonic is? <laughs> Johnson Brothers tonight. They're playing Pinochle. They're enjoying the country air, dinner, middle of the day, and then they dispose of the. This is the second shot we get of them pulling up and dumping the bones, the busted up bones in a lake, which you know, still not great if they turn up, but at least it's not on somebody family property, right? Then they go for a dinner at a nice looking restaurant there, uh, talking about. There's a camaraderie here. They're talking about one some of one of the college girls liking Chris and Louise seems fat, <laughs> Tony says, which gets a little look between Chris and Tony uh-huh. B and yeah. they and he starts reciting the jokes that he was giving about Tony, referencing to Louise and cluing Tony in on them. They're in on a joke together, and it's actually in a weird way because especially because of what Chris said earlier, it's a sweet moment between Chris and Tony B for a moment because they're in on something Tony's not in on. And I think Chris really appreciates that. And then eventually that turns. <laughs> it turns actually very quickly. They're getting on the recovery talk. And well, when you cover your fucking balls, give me a call. Would you ball breaking balls? This begins like a vaudeville routine. Right. The yeah, two to- Tonys. Like, let's do every variation on this one thing we can do. Yeah. Oh, we ran out. Move on to something else. Yep. Exactly. Pigs could kill. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. They're doing like, this is like a Laurel and Hardy act. And, uh, you mind taking another few steps out the fucking door so we can have fun. It's just a joke. And then, uh, we're, I agree, Paul. Like a couple bunch of us could sit around and bust balls and and all that, but where this steps into gross territory for me is when Tony says to him, "Why don't you have a drink? You're you're you're, you're basically annoying everybody with all this shit and the sweets and the higher power yammering." That's bad. Also, the blowjob joke is bad. Yeah. Because of oh, what right. we have from a regular around the margins is not good. Mm. So the Humvee, yep. maybe he'd like to hum me. And I was like, yep. we don't want to make too many blowjob jokes around Chris. Right. Yeah. Not this season. Yeah. <laughs> come, Just come on. Like, Tony writes it off. He realizes he maybe shouldn't have said that. But at the same time, he's just like, can we just... That idea, like... Uh, someone in, of Tony's mindset has no accommodation for anything outside of his comfort zone, his norm especially in a social situation with underlings like this, who are also family. Then they get into the sobriety's hard enough work without having to get mocked for it. Then they do the Beaks Kill bit, which is hilarious. Again, more of that witty back and forth, the vaudeville shit. Chris pulls out, I could have called you Ichabod Crane, but I didn't. (laughs) Doesn't affect him at all. Great, yeah. Tony B shrugs it off. He's a ball buster. And then uh, they raise a toast to the Johnson brothers. More infantilizing imagery. Again, they're telling him, as you said, Chris, to like get a drink at a fucking bull shot. Not only is he drinking soda, but he's sipping it through a straw. Right, yeah, yeah the little, like a little sippers. Like a little kid. And the adults are crapping on him. When uh, Chris brings up the Ichabod Crane thing, uh, which is totally lame and would not be effective at ball breaking at all, yeah, it does roll off Tony B, but there is a little glimmer of something in Tony B's eye. Mm. Not that he's hurt by it, but there is something kind of nasty in there yeah, for a right. second. It's a very brief look. Yeah. I kind of read it as, 
you want to try me, you little prick? Right. Right? Like, I, I don't know if he... There's, yeah. some, there's something there. There's something... I love Tony B, by the way. I think he's a great character. Steve Buscemi does a bang-up job. I agree. One of the most interesting characters to ever be introduced into the Sopranos that wasn't in the initial pack. He's amazing. But also, there's something that deeply unnerves me about Tony B pretty much all the time. Yeah. I don't know if it's that, well, hey, underneath he's a cold killer, but so are all these guys. But it's just, it's sort of something else. Mm-hmm. I feel like because I really can't get to know him and who he is, and maybe that's the idea, you know, is that I can't quite put my finger on the guy. Mm-hmm. Something that bothers me in this scene, even I'll, I'll stand by what I said earlier about Chris's sense of inadequacy... But have you ever, like, been with somebody and maybe you have a jokey kind of vibe, but it's clear that they're not there Mm. or they don't want to do that? Mm. Chris's body language and his the look on his face is pretty clear he doesn't want to do this. Both of the Tonys either don't give a shit or don't notice because they're both functional sociopaths, (laughs) and they just keep going. Yeah. And I was like, like Jordan, I was like, this is a little icky. Right. Yeah. The se- that's I get. That's maybe a weird word to use, but that's no, how it's true. Yeah, it, it's not what you say; it's the context and who's receiving it. Yeah. yeah, you know, like you said, the three of us can bust balls like anybody. But you know, if you're really getting a sense that someone's just really not up for it, it's like, all right, maybe find something else to talk about. Next scene: channel surfing. Who remembers channel surfing? Is that a thing that happens anymore? No. <laughs> you can no, pull up not. any. You can pull up now. You just pull up anything that was ever made at any time, any any place you want to watch it. Back when The Sopranos was on, I actually had to be at the television at nine o'clock on a Sunday to see it. Now, fucking, you know, <laughs> just watch anything anytime. Yeah, there's anything no sense ever. of event anymore. It's very sad. Yeah, it is sad. Tony's kind of chuckling at first at this port story he's found. Uh, like, yeah, I'm getting one over on these guys. Only 2% of the cans get checked. <laughs> he's just kind of like chuckling. And then all of a sudden when it turns to terrorism, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? And this was like a thing after 9-11, the, di- the different ways that a terrorist plot could work. Mm. Right? You would see news stories about it. Yeah. It was, it could make one very tense. Yeah. Oh, th- this was a tense time. People were nervous about another thing. I remember a few years after 9-11 that they have, like, there were a couple news stories that's like, terrorists seem to be moving their, like Islamic terrorists, ten- seem to be moving their plans to second-tier cities, like not New York and L.A., the big ones, more the ones that can't mount a response to it. Because in the years after 9-11, the really big me- metropolises beefed up and had anti-terrorism squads and so like they're gonna start targeting detroit and st louis and some of the smaller cities because they don't yeah it's like but the 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 hysteria was real and perhaps rightfully so who the who who's to say i mean so much happened in in this time period the 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 beefing up of the federal government in response to the war on terror one could say was an overreaction to external stimuli perhaps yep. there might be a parallel there that there that the show is making that America's response to the war on terror might have been a little bit more than was warranted some now I'm not necessarily saying that's my point of view or not I'm just saying I think that that could be coded in here based on what we know about the show and the time period and and could in its ironic way be them taking their eye off the ball with respect to Tony's malfeasance Correct. Right? Yes, exactly. Yep. Hmm. Ports Otherwise, are what? It's just malfeasance for malfeasance's sake, as Dwight says on The Office. Right. Exactly. 
Tony shows up to breakfast. He's still kind of bothered by it. Fucking horrible nightmares. I like Tony P's knock the edge right the hell off your appetite. <laughs> uh, I love Uncle Pat, too. I had a lot of relatives who have said shit like this over the years. Like, yeah, two years, it won't be my problem. <laughs> Which is a very old man thing to say when shit starts getting kooky. Right, when you're close to death, you don't have to care about anything anymore. <laughs> I almost made the quote for this episode, Rose, where is my butter substitute? <laughs> <laughs> It was either that or depression is rage turned inward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more jokes on Chris's expense. Speaking of scary shit, was that you in the bathroom this morning? And that you can see Chris has just had enough. Yep. Puts his fork down. We're going hunting today. Did you hear the turkeys? I gotta hit the road. Song Uncle Pat reminded me very much of Richie April having seen the coat. I gotta go. I gotta go. Right yeah. under the yep. right under the pitch of normal speaking. Yep. Oh, ooh, why'd you bring that moment up? I know. So sad. Chris takes the long drive home, and we get this shot. Depression is rage turned inward. Yep. Tears in his eyes. This is it. Very sad. I feel Actually, more than tears in his eyes. He's crying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm crying of laughter watching Vito staring at the girls after what we uh, found out about him. <laughs> Discussion at the Bing turns political here. Nuclear bomb. <laughs> There's enough shit they don't catch. Paulie talking about handing out building contracts to your friends. We can understand that. <laughs> the, the news team put some radioactive shit in one of them and whatever. And I'm, then I'm already laughing. Georgie. That's why you How always, many times is this? He just has to never, ever engage Tony. I, I, I don't understand. Poor fuck knows he should keep his mouth shut. Yeah, Silvio. He got shak- it from Ralph once, too. As yeah, far as I Silvio's remember. shaking his head. But this is a this is a once-a-season thing. <laughs> Uh, through the uh, ice and the rock, wasted all fucking John D. Rockefeller last season. <laughs> he got it in the eye from Ralphie in season three. He got it from. It's just, he was. I think he was part of the Columbus business too. I think. Right? Oh yeah, that, right. I think. <laughs> the last time Chris moved the body, he had Georgie do it. And Georgie right. was like puking, and it was, it was a whole thing. The first time that Tony beat him, it was because he evinced. The frustration Tony had with his mother. Yeah. But he couldn't express that anger directly at his mother. It had to be through this intermediary. In the last scene, Tony embodies his mother, brings out Janice's rage. And in this scene, I love. there's so many things I love about this. One of them is that Georgie is so funny. I think he says, you gotta live for today. And Tony says, what? And Georgie thinks like Tony didn't hear him. Says, you gotta live for today. Oh, my God. Um... And yeah, Tony beating him. Again, this, I thought of Howard Hughes, like, let's get Tony to the back. All this stuff, I mean, yeah, them bringing back the, Tony says, Hudson Valley, less than 100 miles away, might as well be a different world. It's like, yeah, it really relaxed you. Yeah. You know. This is a great beating. And I say that not just as, (laughs) not just as, but like, it's, it's great because it's, it's fucking brutal. Like, this is definitely the worst one he got, easily. Uh, I don't think he's gotten a worse beating than this. Lo- almost losing the eye to Ralphie's thing is bad. This was worse to me. Uh, just the savagery of it. And the fact that, of all the provocations, this one felt the most like, oh, that's... That, Not him, a thing to beat a man over. Yeah, he, he, him pushing Tony on the drinks is like... no. Look, to be fair, Georgie deserved none of the beatings. 
But well, hey, I, he he didn't like Gladiator, or possibly <laughs> he hadn't seen it. I'm not sure. Georgie deserved none of the beatings, but I understood all of the beatings except for this one. <laughs> I was like, that's fucked up. But it's also great in the way they staged it. The fucking money flying everywhere yep, as okay. Tony's slamming them with the cash drawer. Just it looked great, even though it was hard to watch at the same time. If that makes sense. Georgie's face is all bloody. They pull him out. Tony's sleeping with the dermatology nurse. Get all those. Oh yeah, uh, that was random. It was random and it isn't. One, he remember he was recovering from that skin cancer, so he would have been visiting right, a dermatologist right. regularly. Also, I don't know, maybe some of the idea that Tony's uh, he talks about getting the free skin cream. He doesn't want to look inwards. He's only focused on out. <laughs> right. That that kind of idea. Who knows? Maybe that's uh, reading yeah, into it too just, much. It's just part of him. What can I say? <laughs> it's part of his. Woman's charm. also way too attractive for him, and way younger, and none of this makes him happy. Right. I got the world by the balls, and everything's an imposition. I'm banging the dermatology nurse. I'm getting shit through the port. I can beat up whoever the fuck I want. I still want them to like me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paulie shows up, says there's some hearing loss. Tony hand, does what he does with, when he can't face the consequences of things he's done, and he emotionally shuts down. He hands somebody a lot of money, and Paulie takes it and then turns back for a second. Actually, Tony, Georgie's quitting the bing, and he said he'd appreciate it if Tony, if you didn't come see him. I told him, watch his fucking mouth, you know. But poor, this this is it for Georgie. I feel like he's uh, he's had one beating too many, right? He's got some partial hearing loss here. And... <laughs> Jesus. In The Godfather, oranges portend death. Oranges portend the beating for Georgie, and now he's done. Mm. Leaves. Mm. This is why I don't like to talk politics, see. <laughs> These things happen. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. For most friends, it's like, let's not talk politics because we might get aggressive when it's not important to for right. tony let's not talk politics because you might beat the fuck out of me for right. no discernible reason <laughs> carmelo talking with roe are you going back with tony no of course not denial here but she mentions she cared enough about this moment to bring it up and then they shit on wiggler a little bit another quick touchdown i think carmela's not in a ton of this episode but they they touched down a few times we can't just leave her hanging and then uh then we get our last scene. Yep. The fifth Sunday dinner at the Bacchieri's. Janice is putting it together. Mahatma. Some kind of probably very average eggplant right there. And they've set this up <laughs> so the well. Yeah. They've set this up so well with the way she's treated the kids, particularly with the way they consume food. Sophia goes for the Hawaiian punch, and Janice, there. If you, if there's a right way to guide a kid away from making a food choice, this was it. Before dinner. Hmm. Not in a threatening way, not like, are you sure you want to drink that, not you're going to wet the bed, not you're too, you know, not just taking it out of her hand and dumping it, like the fucking chocolate milk, but just putting it back, kind of, yeah, all right, I'll put it away, maybe later. Right, that was better. And then, Tony really was stunned by her being nice to the telemarketers. Uh, please don't call again, take us off our list, okay, no, we're about to sit down to dinner, is that that, telemarketers just hang up. Uh, that was actually my dad's tactic. He he likes to waste salesman's time. Door-to-door <laughs> salesman or telemarketer, he'll talk to them for 45 minutes about the product, about life, whatever, and then they'll never buy it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tony hates it. She brings the food in. He's staring at it like, what the fuck? Really? 
no, this can't this can't be the reality I live in where she's getting over this and I'm she's like, making like yum yum sounds at the food. Mm, it's like yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 nah. <laughs> this is not real. Nope, nope. And so he wants to pop the bubble. He wants to burst the balloon. I wonder where Harpo's eating his Sunday dinner. Oh boy, what a miserable prick he is. Oop. He really is. Hal, they have to explain to the kids <clears throat> that Janice had a son named after a Phoebe Snow song, Harpo's song. He's French-Canadian and making fun of a boy for his name. Janice is swallowing it, but you can see it's fucking clawing at her insides. She is, she is thinking about all her anger management classes and going through every exercise, and it's not going to help. Bobby knows what this is. He's already got a hand on her arm yep. trying to keep her cool. Yep, and of course he he is, he, he may be able to quote-unquote control his wife, but Bobby's in no position to control Tony. Mm-hmm. Gets into the French-Canadian bit, making fun, more ball-busting where it's not being asked for. <laughs> oh no, it's French-Canadian for I grew up without a mother. Sacre bleu, where's me mama? <laughs> and Still laugh every time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. You motherfucker picks up the fork, the kids scream in horror. We're back to Tony just completely derailed her. Well, I can't ask, I'm the kids and the boy's uncle. Smile. What an interesting moment. He's horrible, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, horrible behavior from him is that Livia I see inside of him. Is that Livia I see in her? She picks up a fork to attack him. Like I was like, do they, do they both default to her? Yeah. I They are so damaged. Yeah. Good point. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a broken situation. Uh, and that fucking smile he gives. Uh, and the boy's uncle. Smile. Walks out. Just total piece of shit. He right walks here. out like he's just done a hit, by the way. Oh, yeah. He walks out like, kind of walks down the street like, yeah, got you. I'm a fucking badass. He's a miserable prick is what he is. Yeah. Right. And and the song is like, is it Kinks? The Kinks. The song, the song, the song is like, I'm a badass. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, yeah, and you're sitting there like, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. What was the victory here for you, Tony? Yeah, it's like, like dude, you didn't, you didn't, fuck? yeah, you didn't just kill Sammy the Bull. You just humiliated your sister at dinner. It's like, what the fuck? but I guess from his it's own, petty. It's 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 petty from his own twisted perspective. He weaponized his anger, and anger is seductive. I think in this way, and you can make yourself believe, probably for a very short window, that it will make you all right and it will make you whole. Mm. Maybe that's where Tony is in this moment. It's brutal. Mm. It is. It's funny and it's fun, but it's brutal. Yeah. Great, great description for this episode and this entire show. Funny and brutal. Final thoughts on cold cuts. I think there's a strong metaphor to be found in this bit at uh, Uncle Pat's farm. You uh, you dig up these skeletons. You can crush them. You can move them. You can bury them somewhere else. But you. You can't heal that way. That's just not how you do it. You're, you're gonna you're gonna take up these issues from the past, literally these skeletons from the ground, these skeletons from the closet. You're gonna move them around inside yourself. You can crush them up into little bits, but they don't go away. It, it, you know, the evidence of your crime doesn't nullify the crime itself. You know, there's damage that just is done. Uh, you know, I think if Tony or Janice or Chris or whoever could authentically try to enter a process in which they heal, maybe there could be some hope for them. But, particularly Tony, all he really does is pick up one thing and move it somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. I think we see Janice trying to go through a 
process where she acknowledges things in her past, but just there's just things these characters can't move past, and largely their affiliation to Tony prevents them from moving beyond. I, I just really enjoy that metaphor, and I, I know that this episode took a little flack for being a little bit direct in its metaphors and in how it addresses issues, but I actually liked it. I didn't think it had to go another way. I agree. I also... I enjoy this episode and dig it i would say the two episodes that sandwich it on either end are bigger and broader and more epic but this episode contained as it is engaging the themes that we've talked about works it's fun it's worth having work and i enjoy it it doesn't have to be a top five episode of the sopranos to be rich powerful fun, surprising television, and to have a great discussion about it. Hey, man, well said. I really like it. I like the title. I think it's a clever, clever wordplay, clever writing. As always, I enjoy the personal stories. I think given where it feels like the season is going, something is going to give between Christopher, Tony, and Tony B., and this is a great way to ratchet up that personal tension before the external shit really goes nuts in the in the final three. So I really like this episode. I agree that sandwiched between unidentified black males and the test dream, which we're going to cover next, it's an interesting. It's a tough spot for any episode to be in, and, it, and cold cuts holds its own. I look at it fondly as in not total score, but comparison to the rest of the season, cold cuts seven point five out of ten. Well done, Sopranos. And with that, we got Test Dream coming up next. This is one of those episodes where, I'll I'll, I'll frame it this way. When the show creators for Game of Thrones started the show, they were always looking forward to covering the Red Wedding and and filming that. I, when I started this podcast, says, boy, you know, someday I hope we get to the Test Dream. And here we are. Uh, I can't wait to cover it. I can't wait to talk about the impact it had on the fan base and what is going on there. It's a hell of an episode for the, of the show, hell of an episode for us, and I can't wait to dig in. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mantini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next for the test stream. Sacre bleu, where is me mama?